Welcome to the UTSC Drama Society Summer Reading Series. On this episode, we're going to be hearing an excerpt from Thornton Wilder's Our Town. We begin our excerpt at the beginning of the play. This is Our Town. Act One. No curtain, no scenery. The audience, arriving, sees an empty stage in half-light. Presently, the stage manager, hat on and pipe in mouth, enters and begins placing a table and three chairs downstage left and a table and three chairs downstage right. He also places a low bench at the corner of what will be the web house left. Left and right are from the point of view of the actor facing the audience. Up is toward the back wall. As the house lights go down, he has finished setting the stage and leaning against the right proscenium pillar, watches the late arrivals in the audience. When the auditorium is in complete darkness, he speaks. This play is called Our Town. It was written by Thornton Wilder, produced by UTSC Drama Society. In it, you will see Miss Kang, Miss Kaneko, Miss Chisari, Miss Lagoda, Miss Akinlade, Miss Ratnawira, Mr. Palermo, Miss Hang. The name of the town is Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, just across the Massachusetts line. Latitude 42 degrees, 40 minutes. Longitude 70 degrees, 37 minutes. The first act shows a day in our town. The day is May 7th, 1901. The time is just before dawn. A rooster crows. The sky is beginning to show some streaks of light over in the east there behind our mountain. The morning star always gets wonderful bright the minute before it has to go, doesn't it? He stares at it for a moment, then goes upstage. Well, I'd better show you how our town lies. Up here, that is parallel with the back wall, is Main Street. Way back there is the railway station. Tracks go that way. Polish towns across the tracks and some Canuck families. Toward the left. Over there is the Congregational Church. Across the streets, the Presbyterian, Methodist, and Unitarian are over there. Baptist is down hollow by the river. Catholic Church is over beyond the tracks. Here's the town hall and post office combined. Jail's in the basement. Brian once made a speech from these very steps here. Along here's a row of stores, hitching posts and horse blocks in front of them. First automobile is going to come along in about five years. Belong to Banker Cartwright, our richest citizen. Lives in the big white house up on the hill. Here's the grocery store. And here's Mr. Morgan's drugstore. Most everybody in town manages to look into those two stores once a day. Public school's over yonder, high school's still farther over. Quarter nine mornings, noon times, and three o'clock afternoons, the whole town can hear the yelling and screaming from those schoolyards. He approaches the table and chairs downstage right. This is our doctor's house, Doc Gibbs. This is the back door. Two arched trellises covered with vines and flowers are pushed out, one by each proscenium pillar. There's some scenery for those who think they have to have scenery. This is Mrs. Gibbs' garden. Corn, peas, beans, hollyhocks, heliotrope, and a lot of burdock. Crosses the stage. In those days, our newspaper come out twice a week, the Grover Corner Sentinel, and this is Editor Webb's house. And this is Mrs. Webb's garden. Just like Mrs. Gibbs, only it's got a lot of sunflowers, too. He looks upward, center stage. Right here's... A big butternut tree. He returns to his place by the right proscenium pillar and looks at the audience for a minute. Nice town, you know what I mean? 
Nobody very remarkable ever come out of it, as far as we know. The earliest tombstones in the, in the cemetery up on the mountain, say 1670 to 1680, they're Grovers and Cartwrights and Gibbses and Hersey's, same names as are around here now. Well, as I said, it's about dawn. The only lights on in town are in a cottage over by the tracks where a Polish mother's just had twins, and in the Joe Crowell house where Joe Jr. is getting up so as to deliver the paper, and in the depot where Shorty Hawkins is getting ready to flag the 545 for Boston. A train whistle is heard. The stage manager takes out his watch and nods. Naturally, out in the country, all around, there have been lights on for some time, what's with Milkins and so on, but town people sleep late. So, another day's begun. Good morning, Allie. Morning, Miss Gibbs. Doc's just coming down the street. Is he? Seems like you're late today. Yes, something went wrong with the separator. Don't know what was. He passes Dr. Gibbs up center. Doc. Howie. Children, children, time to get up. Come on, Bessie. He goes off right. George, Rebecca. Dr. Gibbs arrives at his back door and passes through the trellis into his house. Everything all right, Frank? Yes, I declare. Easy as kittens. Bacon will be ready in a minute. Sit down and drink your coffee. You can catch a couple hours sleep this morning, can't you? Hmm. Guess I know what it's about, too. Her stomach ain't what it ought to be. All told, you won't get more than three hours sleep. Frank Gibbs, I don't know what's going to become of you. I do wish I could get you to go away someplace and take a rest. I think it would do you good. Emily, time to get up. Wally, seven o'clock. I declare you got to speak to George. Seems like someone's come over him lately. He's no help to me at all. Can't even get him to cut me some wood. Washing and drying his hands at the sink. Mrs. Gibbs is busy at the stove. Is he sassy to you? No, he just whines. All he thinks about is that baseball. George, Rebecca, you'll be late for school. Hmm. George? George, look sharp. Yes, Pa. As he goes off the stage. Don't you hear your mother calling you? I guess I'll go upstairs and get 40 winks. Wally, Emily, you'll be late for school. Wally, you wash yourself good or I'll come up and do it myself. Ma, what dress shall I wear? Don't make a noise. Your father's been out all night and needs to sleep. I washed and ironed the blue gingham for you special. Ma, I hate that dress. Oh, hush up with you. Every day I go to school dressed like a sick turkey. Now, Rebecca, you always look very nice. Mama, George is throwing soap at me. I'll come and stop the both of you. That's what I'll do. A factory whistle sounds. The children dash in and take their places at the tables. Right, George, about 16, and Rebecca, 11. Left, Emily and Wally, same ages. They carry strapped school books. We got a factory in our town, too. Hear it? Makes blankets, Cartwright's own in, and it brung them a fortune. Children, now I won't have it. Breakfast is just as good as any other meal, and I won't have you gobbling like wolves. It'll stunt your growth. That's a fact. Put away your book, Wally. <sighs> Ma, by 10 o'clock, I got to know all about Canada. You know the rules as well as I do. No book at table. As for me, I'd rather have my children healthy than bright. I'm both, Mama. You know I am. I'm the brightest girl in school for my age. I have a wonderful memory. Eat your breakfast. I'm bright, too. 
when I'm looking at my stamp collection. I'll speak to your father about it when he's rested. Seems to me 25 cents a week's enough for a boy your age. I declare I don't know how you spend it all. Ah, uh, Ma, I got a lot of things to buy. Strawberry phosphates, that's what you spend it on. I don't see how Rebecca comes to have so much money. She has more than a dollar. Spoon in mouth, dreamily. I've been saving it up gradual. Well, dear, I think it's a good thing to spend some every now and then. Mama, do you know what I love most in the world? Do you? Money. Eat your breakfast. Mama, I got there's the spell. The children rise, seize their books, and dash out through the trellises. They meet down center and chattering walk to Main Street, then turn left. The stage manager goes off unobtrusively right. Walk fast, but you don't have to run. Wally, pull up your pants at the knee. Stand up straight, Emily. Tell Miss Foster I sent her my best congratulations. Can you remember that? Yes, Ma. You look real nice, Rebecca. Pick up your feet. Goodbye. Bye. Mrs. Gibbs fills her apron with food for the chickens and comes down to the footlights. Here, chick, 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 chick. No, go away, you go away. Here, chick, 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 chick. What's the matter with you? Fight, fight, fight. That's all you do. Hmm. You don't belong to me. Where do you come from? She shakes her apron. Oh, don't be scared. Nobody's gonna hurt you. Mrs. Webb is sitting on the bench by her trellis, stringing beans. Good morning, Myrtle. How's your cold? Well, it's, I still get that tickling feeling in my throat. I told Charles I didn't know as I'd go to choir practice tonight. Wouldn't be any use. Have you tried singing over your voice? Yes, but somehow I can't do that and stay on key. While I'm resting myself, I thought I'd string some of these beans. Rolling up her sleeves as she crosses the stage for a chat. Let me help you. Beans have been good this year. I've decided to put up 40 quarts, even if it kills me. The children say they hate them, but I notice they're able to get them down all winter. Pause. Brief sounds of chickens cackling. Now, Myrtle, I've got to tell you something, because if I don't tell somebody, I'll burst. Why, Julia Gibbs. Here, give me some of those beans. Myrtle, did one of those secondhand furniture men from Boston come to see you last Friday? No. Well, he called on me. First, I thought he was a patient wanting to see Dr. Gibbs, and he warmed his way into my parlor, and Myrtle Webb, he offered me $350 for Grandmother Wentworth's high boy as I'm sitting here. Why, Julia Gibbs. He did. That old thing. Why, he was so big, I didn't know where to put him. And I almost gave it to Cousin Hester Wilcox. Well, you're going to take it, aren't you? I don't know. You don't know? $350. What's come over you? Well, if I could get the doctor to take the money and go away someplace on a real trip, I'd sell it like that. You know, Myrtle, it's been the dream of my life to see Paris, France. Oh, I don't know. It sounds crazy, I suppose, but for years I've been promising myself that if we ever had the chance... How does the doctor feel about it? Well, I did beat about the bush a little and said that if I got a legacy, that's the way I put it, I'd make him take me somewhere. Mm. What did he say? You know how he is. Haven't heard a serious word out of him since I've known him. No, he said it might make him discontented with Grover's Corners to go traipsing about Europe. Better let well enough alone, he says. Every two years, he makes a trip to the battlefields of the Civil War, and that's enough treat for anybody, he says. Well, Mr. Webb just admires the way Dr. Gibbs knows everything about the Civil War. Mr. Webb's got a good mind. 
to give up Napoleon and moreover to the civil war, only Dr. Gibbs being one of the greatest experts in the country just makes him despair. It's a fact. Dr. Gibbs is never so happy as when he's at Antietam or Gettysburg. The times I've walked over those hills, Myrtle, stopping at every bush and pacing it all out like we were going to buy it. Well, if that secondhand man's really serious about buying it, Julia, you better sell it. And then you'll go to Paris, all right? Just keep dropping hints from time to time. That's how I got to see the Atlantic Ocean, you know? Oh, I'm sorry I mentioned it. Only it seems to me that once in your life, before you die, you ought to see a country where they don't talk in English and don't even want to. The stage manager enters briskly from the right. He tips his hat to the ladies who nod their heads. Thank you, ladies. Thank you very much. Mrs. Gibbs and Mrs. Webb gather up their things, return into their homes and disappear. Now we're gonna skip a few hours. I can't, Lois. I've gotta go home and help my mother, I promised. Emily, walk simply. Who do you think you are today? Papa, you're terrible. One minute you tell me to stand up straight and the next minute you call me names. I just don't listen to you. She gives him an abrupt kiss. Golly, I never got a kiss from such a great lady before. He goes out of sight. Emily leans over and picks some flowers by the gate of her house. George Gibbs comes careening down Main Street. He's throwing a ball up to dizzying heights and waiting to catch it again. This sometimes requires his taking six steps backwards. He bumps into an old lady invisible to us. Excuse me, Mrs. Forrest. Stage manager is Mrs. Forrest. Go out and play in the fields, young man. You got no business playing baseball on Main Street. Awfully sorry, Mrs. Forrest. Hello, Emily. Hello. You made a fine speech in class today. Well, I was really ready to make a speech about the Monroe Doctrine, but at the last minute, Miss Corcoran made me talk about the Louisiana Purchase instead. I worked an awful long time on both of them. Gee, it's funny, Emily. From my window up there, I can see just your head nights when you're doing your homework over in your room. Why, can you? You certainly do stick to it, Emily. I don't see how you can sit still that long. I guess you like school. Well, I always feel it's something you have to go through. Yeah. I don't mind it, really. It passes the time. Yeah. Emily, what do you think? We might work out a kind of telegraph from your window to mine, and once in a while you could give me a hint or two about one of those algebra problems. I don't mean the answers, Emily, of course not. Just some little hint. Oh, I think hints are allowed. So uh, if you get stuck, George, you whistle to me and I'll give you some hints. Emily, you're just naturally bright, I guess. I figure that it's just the way a person's born. Yeah, but you see, I wanna be a farmer and my uncle Luke says whenever I'm ready, I can come over and work on his farm. And if I'm any good, I can just gradually have it. You mean the house and everything? Enter Mrs. Webb with a large bowl and sits on the bench by her trellis. Yeah. Well, thanks. I better get going to the baseball field. Thanks for the talk, Emily. Good afternoon, Mrs. Webb. Good afternoon, George. So long, Emily. So long, George. Emily, come help me string these beans for the winter. George Gibbs let himself have a real conversation, didn't he? Why is growing up? How old would George be? I don't know. Let's see. He must be almost 16. Mama, I made a speech in class today and I was very good. You must recite it to your father at supper. What, what was it about? The Louisiana Purchase. It was like silk off a spool. 
I'm going to make speeches all my life. Mama, are these big enough? Try and get them a little bigger if you can. Mama, will you answer me a question? Serious? Seriously, dear. Not serious. Seriously, will you? Of course I will. Mama, am I good looking? Yes, of course you are. All my children have got good features. I'd be ashamed if they didn't. Oh, Mama, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, am I pretty? I've already told you, yes. Now that's enough of that. You have a nice, pretty young face. I've never heard such foolishness. Oh, Mama, you never tell us the truth about anything. I am telling you the truth. Mama, were you pretty? Yes, I was, if I do say it. I was the prettiest girl in town next to Mamie Cartwright. But Mama, you've got to say something about me. Am I pretty enough to get anybody, to get people interested in me? Emily, you make me tired. Now stop it. You're pretty enough for all normal purposes. Come along now and bring that bowl with you. Oh, Mama, you're no help at all. Thank you. Thank you. That'll do. We'll have to interrupt again here. Thank you, Mrs. Webb. Thank you, Emily. Mrs. Webb and Emily withdraw. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the UTSC Drama Society Summer Reading Series. Thank you again to all of our fantastic readers, and don't forget to check out our Instagram to vote on which show you'd like to see us produce for the beginning of the season. Catch you next time!